My name's Mike and I'll be reading this morning. Um, We've got two readings and the first one's from the Old Testament from the book of Leviticus and just as a bit of context, um, it was written 3,000 years ago so it might seem a bit foreign to us and God had just um, called his people out of slavery and he'd told them that he wants to come and live among them but there's a bit of a problem because of course he's a a holy and righteous God and they're a, a sinful people. So how can the two live together? And even Aaron the priest is wondering how they can live together. So in this passage, God gives detailed instructions about how the people can approach him. So I'll read from Leviticus chapter 16, verses 3 to 17. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. He is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goats whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as a scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord, and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law, so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood with his finger and sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then you shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering, for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household and the whole community of Israel. Our second reading is from the book of Romans and in this passage we see how a righteous God has reconciled a sinful people to himself in the person of Jesus. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 31. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. 
There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Well, good morning. My name's Stephen, one of the ministers here. And it's so great to be able to get together today to um, see these baptisms later on and the uh, recommitment of uh, previous baptisms. Who's seen um, the musical Les Mis? Who's ever actually seen the musical live itself? All right, add your hand if you've seen the movie version. A few more. Okay. In Les Mis, if you haven't seen it, there's two characters that are bitterly opposed to each other throughout the whole musical. So there's Jean Valjean, who's a criminal, but he's shown mercy by someone, and so he decides to live a completely different life. Uh, He changes his name and he, he cries out, Jean Valjean is nothing now and instead of living a a life of kind of petty crime he lives this life that that's driven by mercy but Javert on the other hand he's a police officer whose life is driven by justice so Javert spends his life trying to track down Jean Valjean to bring him to justice because he hasn't reported back to him as his parole officer Now, Javert, he doesn't care that Jean Valjean is a changed man living a merciful life because Javert, he he loves justice. And because of that, he hates mercy. There's this scene where uh, Jean Valjean, the ex-crim, shows great mercy to Javert, the police officer. He, He has this chance to get revenge on Javert for causing him so much suffering. He's got this chance to let Javert be killed which would mean then he could live this life of peace without being pursued all the time by Javert. But instead, Jean Valjean shows him mercy. He saves his life from the hands of some revolutionaries. But the funny thing is, Javert hates this. His life is driven by justice, and he just can't make sense of what Jean Valjean has done. And so he sings in the musical, Vengeance was his and he gave me back my life. Damned if I'll live in the debt of a thief. Damned if I'll yield at the end of the chase. I am the law and the law is not mocked. I'll spit his pity right back in his face. There is nothing on earth that we share. It is either Valjean or Javert. And then the song kind of calms down a bit. And he sings, How can I now allow this man to hold dominion over me? 
in Chavez's eyes, justice and, and mercy, they just can't go together. Justice must be done no matter what the cost. Well, today we're looking at Paul's letter uh, to the Romans, which we've been doing this year off and on. And we see in this part of the letter the justice of God. And we see that, like Javert, God says that justice must be done no matter what the cost. And yet, we also see that, unlike Javert, God says that justice and mercy can go together. In this letter, Paul's been writing about two different groups of people, those who are Jewish and those who are Gentiles, those who are descended from Abraham and then the Gentiles being everyone else. And he says about both groups of people, Jews and everyone else, that all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Have a look again where we saw this in in verse 22 so clearly. He writes, There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. doesn't matter whether you're Jewish or not. No one has lived up to God's standards, the standards that he requires. Now, this was news to um, most Jewish people back then because their identity, their understanding of themselves was that they really were different. They were chosen by God to be his people. They were distinct from the nations, from the Gentiles. They had all these laws and and customs, some of which we just heard read before in Leviticus. They had all these different ways of doing things. that They they really were different. The men were, were physically marked as being different from the nations by circumcision. That's kind of as dedicated as you can get to being different. And yet Paul, himself a Jew, he has the audacity here to say, there is no difference. I mean, think about what he's saying. He's saying, whoever you are, whatever you are, you know, Australian, Kiwi, Chinese, male, female, transgender, straight, gay, bi, teenager, child, old, Christian, Buddhist, unsure, progressive, center or right wing you know there's so many different ways that we are different to each other but we're all exactly the same in this way all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god now sin's gone out of fashion it's not gone out of fashion we, we still do it in that sense it's just gone out of fashion in talking about it unless you're talking about you know overindulging in chocolate or ice cream you just it's not polite to talk about sin i remember a friend of mine when he first uh, read this part of the bible with another friend he was like he said i can't believe you're calling me a sinner now let me just be crystal clear for a moment this part of the bible is absolutely calling you a sinner Paul, he spent the first three chapters of this letter arguing that all people have sinned and all people have fallen short of God's expectations. All groups of people, all individuals, we've all fallen short. Now, the Jews, if you get inside their their way of thinking, they're thinking, no, but we've got the law, we're okay. 
We've got God's special commands. But Paul says even with the law, they fall short. Now, often people I speak to think that they're okay with God because they're generally good people. But this part of the Bible makes it clear that no matter how good or religious we are, we still fall short. Imagine, you know, just to sort of capture the what's going on here. Imagine I'm standing on the dunes of Semaphore Beach, if you've been there, looking out over the water, right? And Dustin Johnson is there with me. And I'm like, hey, Justin, I mean Dustin, um, so you're, you're world number one in golf, right? It's, it's a bit awkward, as you can kind of sense, mostly because I have no idea about golf. I had to Google who was number one. I was expecting Greg Norman, but apparently that's a, that's a while ago. <laughs> so anyways, it's, it's, it's a little bit awkward, but Dustin and I were about to have a competition. He pulls out his biggest golf club, whatever you call that, and he swings it and he hits the ball beautifully and it just sails out to the length of the jetty or maybe further because I don't really know what a good golf shot looks like. And it plops down in the water. But then it's my turn, okay? Now, in case you haven't sort of figured it out, I don't really play golf or know how to play golf. I've played a couple of times and I really like that rule in golf that if when you hit the ball, you can get the golf ball and put it back on the tee within 10 seconds, you're allowed another shot and it doesn't count. It's my favorite rule in golf. So I hit the ball and I splice it and Dustin jumps out of the way and the ball kind of rolls down the beach and just hits the edge of the water. Now clearly Dustin has hit the best, the the shot of the day, right? But if the target was the York Peninsula, both of us have fallen short. It doesn't matter that Dustin has hit the ball 500 times further than me. Both fall short of the target. Now, the Jews with the law, they're like Dustin with his golf skills. And everyone else who's not Jewish, they're like me. Some of us go further, but in the end, all of us fall short of the target. All people fall short of the glory of God, no matter how good or how bad they are. You me, all of us. Now, at this point, as we read Romans, you know, the letter to the Romans, most of us, we do something in our minds here. We, we, we kind of do this kind of thinking. Well, if I fall short of God's expectations, it must be because his expectations, his standards are too high. He's unrealistic. The problem's not with me. The problem's with his standards. And that would be fair enough if falling short of God's expectations really was like trying to hit a golf ball to the York Peninsula from Semaphore. That's unrealistic. But God's expectations aren't like that. It's more like this. It's more like going to a parent-teacher interview with your child who's in year six. Now, do you reckon it would be fair enough to say to the teacher, this school has failed my child. This school has not met my expectations because they're in year six and they can't read that'd be fair enough wouldn't it but imagine if the teacher says to you well it's not my problem it's your problem your expectations are just too high i mean i've kept them safe i've kept them entertained i've kept them out of your hair for you what more do you want well we're like that school teacher with god I haven't killed anybody. I'm better than many people. 
I mostly try to do the right thing. What more do you want? And God says, I want you to love me and I want you to love others. And I want that to be what drives you, what defines you. Is it? See, any half-honest person at that point can see that we all fall short of that. And more than that, that we'll just keep on falling short of that again and again and again. And falling short of the glory of God, it's not like when you're at Bunnings trying to get a sausage and you realize you're 50 cents short and they don't have FPOS. It's not like that. It's more like being in court and realizing your case is not very strong and you're looking at prison time. It's a very serious situation to be in. It means our relationship with God is not okay. And the way the Bible puts it, the way the letter to Romans puts it, our relationship with God is so bad that we are facing his anger. Paul said in in verse 9, Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. Now think about that. You might not know this. You might not think it's a problem. But God thinks it is. Have you seen the way that that someone can be living life happy and and healthy and then it can all change in a moment? Like you go to see the doctor and they tell you that you have cancer or something like that. You don't realize it. You don't feel like that's the case. You didn't expect it. And in your mind you're thinking, but I don't don't smoke and I I don't drink. I exercise and all of that's great and maybe even helpful, but it doesn't really change the reality. In a sense, you, your body in, in those kind of times is under the power of cancer and just ignoring that and doing more of the same, it's not going to save you from the problem. You need something bigger. Well, Paul is telling us here powerfully in this letter, we are under the power of sin. It doesn't matter how good we are or how religious we are, That won't break the power of sin. It won't make us right with God. We need something bigger. And this brings us to our second point. The only way to be righteous is through faith in Jesus. The only way to be made right with God is through trusting Jesus. Have a look where we see this again in in verse 21. Paul writes, But now, apart from the law... The righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Do you see that? What will break the power of sin over our lives? What will make us right in God's eyes? It's clear here. It's God. God showing grace freely. It's being released from the power of sin by believing in Jesus. The way to be right with God, it's not by living up to God's standards. That ship has well and truly sailed. No one can do that. But anyone can be righteous by believing in Jesus. A lot of people... Like what Ebony was saying in her story uh, up in the video before, a lot of people, they they think Christianity is on about rules and, and regulations to impress God. 
But you know what? This couldn't be further from the truth. Righteousness doesn't come by following rules. It comes by following Jesus. The very heart of of Christianity is that you can only be acceptable to God by trusting in Jesus. Being right with God, it's not earned. it's, It's freely given. It's a gift, we read here. When you're a kid, you, you think that all gifts come wrapped in paper. But as you get older, you start to realize that some of the best gifts in life are things that aren't wrapped in paper at all. Uh, I remember a time like this when I was in year 10, I, I was involved in a, a fight at school. And this wasn't one of those little sort of minor scratching and biting kind of fights. This was a serious sort of fight. A, a teacher ended up uh, breaking us up and at that point I was bleeding from my lip and, and he was bleeding from his eye. Uh, we looked terrible. We, we had blood all down the, the front of our uniforms. And as we were marched up to the principal's office, just every, it seemed to be that we were the furthest point possible away from the principal's office in the school. Everybody just gathered and was looking at us. And I started to wonder what was going to happen to me as I was sitting there in the office. The other guy was younger than me, so I was likely to be treated more severely, even though he'd hit me first. I started to wonder whether I'd be suspended or even expelled. And then the principal said he was contemplating calling the police. But you know what? In the end, he decided to be lenient on me. And as you can imagine, as as I was there in that situation, my relief was huge. I knew I deserved worse. And for me, that was absolutely a gift. But let me tell you, God's gift is infinitely greater than that gift. We're in far more serious trouble than a high school fight. We've fallen short of God's glory. We face being expelled from his presence, being expelled from the source of love, life, goodness. My principle was lenient on me for something that I did to someone else, but God... He forgives us for things that we've done against him. And with God, there's not just leniency. There's forgiveness. There's love. There's friendship. There's no one-day detention like I got from the principal. With God, it's as if we've never sinned. God, out of his generosity, he he freely declares that we are righteous. It's as if you're, you're standing in a courtroom... And the judge says to everybody, this person is not guilty. But think about that. The shocking thing is, we are guilty. We've all fallen short. So how can God declare us righteous like that when we're not? Well, this brings us to our final point. God can declare us righteous Because he presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement. God can treat us as righteous because of what Jesus has done for us in his death. We read this in verse 25. Have a look at it again. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time 
so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. See, when God is declaring us not guilty, he isn't just turning a blind eye to us, a blind eye to our guilt like a a parent overlooks the guiltiness of a spoiled child or something like that. God is, is just. He's upright. Sin has, has got to be punished. Your sin has got to be dealt with. You know, think about it like this. If, if a husband upsets his wife, what might he try to do to, to make up for what, for what he's done? You know, he's late home from work or something like that. What might he do to atone for himself? Well, in that situation, he might bring chocolates or flowers or something like that. Or if it's a bit worse, you know, he goes out with, the, with his friends instead of coming home. He might try and atone for himself by taking his wife out for dinner. But what if he does something really serious? Like what if he has an affair? There's absolutely nothing a husband can do to make atonement for something so serious. You know, no amount of flowers or, or chocolates or housework or dinners or or anything is going to atone for such a serious thing. Either his wife is going to absorb the cost and the pain into herself and forgive him, or the relationship is over. Think of all the times that you've hurt God by hurting other people, by being selfish or lying Or ignoring someone, belittling someone, being judgmental, using someone, turning a blind eye or being hypocritical. What could you do for God to make atonement for everything that you've ever done that's wrong? You can't. A husband who who has an affair and thinks that chocolates and flowers is going to do anything is a fool. All he does is belittle his wife again by belittling what he's done. And we would be foolish to think that we can make things okay with God by anything that we can do. We would be belittling God. What can we give that would be big enough to atone for sin? There's only one thing that's big enough. And it's not something we can give. But God can. Look at verse 25 again. God... Verse 25 says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Even though God is the one we've wronged, he makes atonement for our sin. He does this by presenting Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement. God declares us righteous and he treats us as righteous for free, but it costs him. It costs him Jesus. Jesus freely sacrifices his life. God freely gives his son. God, who we've wronged, absorbs the cost of what we've done to him into himself. The cross of Jesus, it says to us that God is angry with us and that there's nothing we can do about it. It says that loud and clear. But you know what? It says even louder that God loves you so much that he was willing to make atonement for you himself. That's how much God loves you, that Jesus would become human, 
and die in humiliation for you. How do you feel about that? Javert, in the musical Les Mis, he would hate that kind of idea. He could not see how justice and mercy could go together. He loved justice and he hated mercy. But God is so different to that. He loves both justice and mercy. In Jesus' death on the cross, we see the justice of God and we see the mercy of God. Justice because God deals with sin by taking the punishment for it onto himself. Mercy, because at the very same time, he creates the one way, the one way that we can be freed from the punishment from sin. And God, he holds the two together perfectly in the death of Jesus. It's why the cross is just so important. The cross shows you the very heart of God. It's why there's nothing else more important in in the history of this world, actually, than what's happening at the cross. It's why there's nothing more important, even though you might not realize this, to your own life than the cross of Jesus. Today, in just a minute, we're going to see seven people who've come to see just how important what Jesus did for them on the cross is. Seven people who are publicly saying, I need Jesus to be made right with God. These are seven people who've asked themselves the question, am I right with God? And they've come to realize, I am through what Jesus has done for me. And that's the question this this part of the Bible asks us. It asks you, are you right with God? And this part of the Bible, it shows you how you can answer that question, how you can be right with God. Not, have I done enough to be righteous? Have I done enough to atone for my shortcomings? These seven today, many of us here, we've come to see that we are right with God because our trust is in Jesus and Jesus alone. So let me ask you this question. Are you right with God? Do you believe that Jesus has done enough for you? And if you're not right with God, or if you're not sure you're right with God, please hear this. Do something about it. Do something about it before that question just completely evaporates from your mind. There's only one possible way to be right with God. One possible way that God's justice and mercy can come together for you. And that's by you coming to Jesus. But you need to do that. You need to be the one who comes to him. Who admits to him that you need him. Can I encourage you to stop putting that truth out of your mind. And to realize you really do need Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, that you would give your only son, that he would give himself freely out of grace so that we could be righteous in your eyes as if we'd never sinned. Lord, forgiven by you and brought back into perfect relationship with you. Lord, help us to see our need for that and that this is the one way that you yourself absorb the cost of our sin into yourself lord help us to see we desperately need 
trust in Jesus and help us to take the steps to have faith in him. We pray in his name. Amen.